Salutations, and thank you for listening. I'm Brittany, and sitting next to me is Steven, and we're just chilling, and we're here to remind you that it's not the end of the world. That's right. It's not the end of the world. We're here to make a statement and here to stand by it, even though we'll be sitting for this podcast. You may look around you, at your phones, maybe the television. The world probably seems to be falling apart. Uh, You let it get to you, or maybe you ignore it. Maybe you laugh, or maybe you cry. We're here to talk about everything. Well, the things that we think are worth mentioning that probably don't seem to be connected at all. Except they are. Because everything is connected, and you are a part of something much greater than you can imagine. You have the power to transform the world by simply challenging yourself to learn and grow. The things that would normally bring you down can be lifted off of you with a change in perspective. So take a breath as we take you to the distant parts of our universe, our internal, our external, ourselves and nature. We're all just here for the ride anyway. So when you think about the end of the world, what do you think about? You think about the apocalypse? Maybe the year 2012? I mean, we're all supposed to be dead by now, right? Because <laughs> that's supposed to be the end of the world, according to the Mayan calendar that was discovered. I don't know when it was discovered, but it became popular recently, and people decided to reference that to determine that 2012 is the end. But then you go into the the Hindu scriptures and all of the astronomical cycles and the calculations about the movements of the planets and the stars and and you get these these yugas is what they call them and and really it's essentially a golden age, a silver age, a bronze age, and an iron age, and it's all dividing up human history into these cycles of time and why were people so obsessed with that i don't i don't know why but it seems to be important so we're going to go over these things and figure out why they're important even like you were saying all of those things are so important considering the times that we're in right now We think about, you know, the possibility of an apocalypse, which is scary if you think of the movies and things like that, if that's where you relate such things. And sometimes you have to think about all of that collectively and just ask, is it, you know, a load of crap? And I think that simplistically we all want to say that it is, but because of how much unknown stuff is out there, it's kind of hard to just skip over everything so you know and humans have this huge obsession of predicting the future I think that it could come out of boredom or just you know maybe some people just have this intuition of wondering like what happens after this and how to plan for if something were to happen and unfortunately when we plan for the end of the world it's a little selfish because we act as humans like we're the only ones existing to have 
you know, an end of the world, when in reality, the end of the humanity isn't going to end the world at all. So it's a little bit intense because we've done studies of global warming, things like that, that basically predict if humans didn't exist, the world would thrive. And sometimes I don't think that it's the healthiest way to think about things is, you know, always planning for the demised end that we're all going to meet. And I think that's something that Stephen and I can really, really, really get into. And really the point we're trying to make is that it's not healthy to focus so long on these sorts of things. In fact, it's better to focus on what you can do to create positive change and change right now in the moment because we don't know what will happen in the future. And the more that we let go of our concern for what is past and what is future, the more that we are free to simply live, you know, enjoy what time we have. Because there is an end. We all have to face it someday. And you know what I'm talking about. And we hope not to bring you down by <laughs> what we talk about for the rest of this. Honestly, some of this kind of stuff makes me laugh. If you look on the internet, you can find some new prediction about the end times. <laughs> it just takes a quick Google search. Like, they change it every week, you know, trying to get people's attention, trying to get them to click on the article, you know, the gullible of us, or the ones who are just interested, maybe want a good laugh. But really, like, if you look at all of, all of it, Throughout history, people have paid attention to signs in the sky. They've paid attention to messages from the great beyond. And they look around the world and they, you know, think about some kind of future dystopia or, you know, technology taking over, um, technology destroying us, nuclear war, uh, artificial intelligence, zombies, some kind of virus outbreak <laughs> you know <laughs> um <laughs> alien invasions and uh, the alignment of planets throwing off the orbit of the earth and the solar system and you, you look at all of them once and you're just like okay now this is starting to look a little um insane and you know we're, we're just going to give you a few examples here of some of the end times predictions throughout history yeah, and in reality, Stephen, there is a lot of history that we could talk about considering that it is 2020. I don't know why that just seems so insane to me. It's like yesterday was 2012 and the world ended. <laughs> just kidding. But uh, I think one of the funniest ones that was predicted was in 1806. There was a lady named Mary Bateman. And apparently she had some chickens and one morning she went out and one of the eggs had Christ is coming written on it. And that made her jump with fear, apparently, going to the first, you know, news station, journalist, whoever she could find to, you know, go tell this incredible news that the chicken egg has just predicted the end of the world. And, you know, it's 
that kind of stuff that it almost makes you wonder, like, how do people even take any of this serious nowadays, just considering all of this past predictions that we've actually had published. So it's out there. You can find that. It's real. So there's this guy, George Van Tassel, from the 1960s, and he predicted on August 20th, 1967, that the world would end. Well, actually, I think his prediction was a little more specific. It wasn't really the world, but that the southeastern U.S. would be destroyed by a nuclear attack from the Soviets. And, you know, that's kind of understandable, I guess. You know, during the Cold War, this guy claims that there would be a nuclear missile attack. But here's the catch. (laughs) So, he learned about this from an extraterrestrial by the name of Ashtar. (laughs) So, he... (laughs) He was considered the UFO prophet of the times, and he had claimed that he channeled this message from this extraterrestrial, and that is what gave him credibility, apparently. There was a man named Charles Manson, and I think since we're kind of talking about all of these theories and predictions of the end of the world, Charles Manson is a good you know, a good person to talk about considering that he believes specifically in a theory and then got a huge amount of people to also believe in said theory. And his theory was Helter Skelter. And this was basically in August 1969 that there would be an apocalyptic war arising from racial tensions. So Charles Manson started a cult, convinced his followers that he was the second coming of Christ and the Manson family was prosecuted for later making an attempt to trigger the helter-skelter scenario. So I think that Charles Manson was starting to realize that maybe this, you know, theory of helter-skelter wasn't playing out exactly like he had read or heard about it, and I think that he decided to use that power that he had within his followers of the cult to kind of put that more into action so he wanted to see a result of the prediction and there are some people out there that would have been you know thankful that something like this didn't come true but for Charles Manson that is something that he had to see happen and that really in retrospect makes you think about everything on a sense of authority and power Charles Manson a very intense figure to all of these people that were called the Manson family, he put his words into their head and made them start to believe that this was actually happening. Not that they were causing it, but that it was happening and they were just, you know, along for the ride of all of that. And his authority played a huge part in all of the heinous stuff that they did. And that brings everybody back to think what people in position of power hold over the public. So in Charles Manson's case, uh, what granted him authority over the small cult following? Um, I think it really was just his ability to convince these people that he had some kind of special power that came with him being the second coming of Christ. And I don't know how you convince people of that, but he did it apparently, and he had enough people that he could fulfill his prophecy so the trend seems to be 
looking back at all of these uh, end-of-the-world predictions, that if you want to control people, you convince them that you're special and that you know of a secret that has only been shared with you. Uh, whether it's been told to you by Ashchar the E.T., an egg, <laughs> or God himself, uh, when the message is of such proportion that it includes uh, the end of the world, the demise of all humanity, it seems to put a spell on people. So why is that the case? Well, it could just be curiosity, but honestly, Stephen, I think it's uncertainty. Like, I think that there's so much uncertainty of what it's going to happen to everybody as a whole, what's going to happen to me individually or you individually. There's so much uncertainty that I think the case is that we are always looking for something or somebody to tell us what's going to happen. And I don't know if that just makes us like calm to the core to be able to know even something so horrendous like, you know, nuclear war or whatever it may be. I think it almost just brings us a little bit of peace to kind of know like oh well even though this is horrible at least we know what's going to happen we can prepare we can be you know we can be ready so it brings us peace to know what the end is going to be like but really does it bring us peace i i don't know i think it's kind of contradictory like we want to know the end and what's going to happen and to have control over it somehow but we want things to end and for whatever reason, our mind goes takes us there. Somebody with a message from the great beyond wants us to think that something is going to happen. And it brings us security. I don't know about peace, but it's just some kind of reassurance that that we have control over our future. And death, really, I mean, because that's ultimately what the end times is talking about is is death and in some way it's symbolic as you said Brittany over our individual death and you know the death of an entire race of people so and I don't know about you Stephen but I think I'd prefer it to be more sporadic I think I would rather it however it's gonna happen just happen I'd I'm not, I don't want to look towards a prophecy or any kind of theory. I'd just rather be in that moment. Yeah, it's kind of make, it makes you paranoid almost if you spend too much time dwelling on it. And I think that's honestly the mindset that triggers a lot of these apocalypse prophecies and these scenarios that are to be played out in the future. This paranoia, and it's, it's something that we're not really supposed to spend so much time thinking about. And, and I it, think readiness, I think readiness is important. Yeah, we can certainly prepare ourselves for future things that are going to happen. Um, there's the Doomsday Preppers, as people have probably heard of. They have a TV show, right? <laughs> they, they do. They have a whole Netflix series or something like that. But in kind of sometimes there's like extremities to all of that. But I honestly...
honestly do agree with some of the relevance of being able to have certain things stocked up you know just basic necessities in a sense food water you know some sort of shelter not anything that's going to deprive the rest of humanity like the freaking toilet paper and all of that (laughs) i'm not going to go out and like buy everything just because i think that's a little selfish i think that's another thing the end of the world is going to bring out realities and all of a lot of humans and I don't think that all of us are ready for that if we do have such an intense demise coming and we were to all believe one thing (laughs) I think that could be humans would be taking humans out before the end of the world would yeah and that's kind of almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy you see when we start to believe something is going to happen that there's going to be a demise then we start to prepare as if there is going to be and then we start to uh, kind of carry out that demise like oh the world's ending so we're going to end the world you know i mean if i have <laughs> to i'll try and ask ashtar exactly <laughs> what it is that we should be prepared for or how prepared you know should how far should we go to be prepared you know i think ashtar is probably one of the the best influences maybe any of us could have right now especially during the coronavirus Yes, I think we all need to reach out to Ashtar because if... Ask him, what do we need to do? Because <laughs> if we don't, we, we might be a little bit lost when Ashtar, it comes... Ashtar, should we wear a mask? Should we not wear a mask? Because there are some scientists out there that keep dragging us through the dirt, you know? Yeah, the messages from the, the politicians and, and all of the world leaders and the people in charge of health organizations it seems a little unclear please give us guidance (laughs) but but yes we digress so in reality although these doomsday prophecies and apocalypse scenarios might seem a little scary or rather funny i mean come on (laughs) but there's a lot of things going on in the world right now that we should actually concern ourselves over things like access to clean water food security Um, food production, being able to feed a population that's continuing to grow and reaching 10 billion by the year 2050, I think is what they predict. We've been able to calculate a lot of things and a lot of trends with our scientific data and our ability to share resources and information. And I think we're coming to figure out where we stand right now and I think that it's important to focus on what you can actually change yourself and what you can what you can strive to support as far as making change goes because there's only so much that we can do as an individual person and if you add up each individual human then that makes up a whole world of humans. And if you think about it, the mess that we made can as easily just be cleaned up, but by us. And I think that sometimes that seems really frustrating because not only would you be picking up other people's messes that maybe you didn't make specifically, I think it comes down to how important it is for you. You know, if you are willing to help clean up somebody else's mess, then you know, you're picking up that slack, which is basically one of the hardest things philosophical-wise to do because 
why would you want to clean up somebody else's mess that you didn't make? And it actually makes me think if, Stephen, I don't know if you ever heard of this, the shopping cart theory. I haven't. So basically it's where you go to the grocery store, you get a cart, you fill it up, you take it to your car, and what do you do with the cart afterwards? Do you put it back in the spot where all of the carts can be picked up easily by the person who picks up the carts, or are you going to put the cart and, you know, leave it by a parking spot, and that could cause somebody to hit it with their car or just anything like that, and I think that kind of describes where the world's at in a sense, because we don't mind making a huge mess because there's always going to be somebody else to clean it up, and that just starts the whole unraveling of, you know, why would you want to clean somebody else's mess up, but I think that as a whole, those little people who don't mind cleaning up somebody else's mess are going to be the people who have the biggest impact on helping turn everything around for this planet. You know, humans have just as much as a reason to live on the planet. We just need to not forget that there are other components to our world and that we're not the center of the universe. Because when we start to think that we are the center of the universe, uh, we start to become narrowly focused i mean the phrase the end of the world implies that if there is some kind of catastrophe for humanity then that would be the end of the entire world (laughs) but really as we've talked about earlier in the beginning of this episode that the end of humanity might actually you know have some benefits for the rest of the living planet and all of its ecosystems and and natural habitats, and all of the animals. They might thrive eventually after nature clears out all of the toxins we've we've put into it. So the end of the world might not be as it seems. And in fact, I think the fact that we're uh, waking up to all of the problems that we've caused right now is showing that we are moving in a different direction, that we do have the ability to change where our trajectory is going to take us in the future. So let's just hope that it'll take us to a place of more stability, more balance, uh, people being able to thrive alongside of their natural world and realizing that they're actually a part of it and that they are there to protect it and take care of it just as much as it takes care of us. So what we want you to do is to keep learning and keep listening because we're here to remind you that it's It's not not the the end end of the world. world.